Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Doing pretty good. We sang. I heard somebody say something. Was that you? Oh, supernaturally. Yes, yes. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> um, so for you that are just joining us, we're in a series. It's our home group series out of Galatians. So we're walking through the book of Galatians as a church. And as we're walking through the book of Galatians as a church, we have home groups that are looking at the text that we're going to teach on um, during the week before we teach on it. This is a great opportunity. Uh, we're on the fourth chapter, so we'll be going into the fifth chapter next week. Make sure you tie in with a home group if you can. It would be a, it's a huge blessing to you, and it's a, an opportunity for you to really, one, be in that portion of Scripture so that when we talk on Sunday, you're already thinking. You're already thinking in that, in that way. Uh, so, yeah, tie into a home group. If you want to know more about the intro of Galatians, you can check out literally any of the three sermons that happened before this online, uh, YouTube, Facebook, or our website, and we have good intros <laughs> uh, to what's going on in Galatia at this time. So check that out if you want to be up to speed with what's going on in Galatia at this time. What I want to talk about today, and we sang about it a lot, is this concept of freedom. This concept of freedom. And really, as we're looking at Galatians together, the, the main theme of this is, is, is freedom in our salvation in Christ Jesus. Amen, church? So we have one thing that I want to cover from last week that Glenn talked about before we dive into today's text. Glenn said last week that Paul starts off chapter 3 by asking, what are you thinking? And he is really provides five questions that reiterate this concept of what are you thinking, making the decisions that you're making, turning back to the ways that you were in. What are you thinking? He asks these questions and then goes on to show them how believing in God, as opposed to observing the law, had always been the way of justification and righteousness with God. You with me? And Glenn summarize this up uh, from, from what Paul has said in other texts is the law was given as a means to expose us and Israel to their need for salvation, okay? The law was given as a means to expose us and Israel to our need for salvation. And this comes out of, uh, one place this comes out of is Romans 3.20. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So keep that roaming in the front or back or middle of your mind as we walk through the text from for today. So if you would open with me to Galatians 4. Uh, if you want to open the Bible or your phone, I'd encourage you, as always, to keep the text open. I'll be roaming a little bit, and it's a good idea to have the scripture right there so you can check for yourself. Uh, what, what's Aaron saying? Do I agree? What does scripture say here? So let's read Galatians 4 together. What I am saying is that as long as you're an heir as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. 
So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me. For I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, I was, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where, then, is your blessing for, of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have tore out your eyes and given them to me. How... Is it, or have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those zealous who, people who are zealous to win you over, but for no good, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am, or I am perplexed by you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of divine promise. These things are to be taken figuratively. The, woman repre the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who 
were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, uh, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born according to the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we meditate on these things, we pray that you will be revealing to us new ways that we can claim the freedom that is given to us in our salvation, ways that we can release the things that we hold on to or turn back to, that we can give those into your care and so freely live. God, thank you for this morning. Open our minds and hearts in Jesus' name. As I looked at this passage more and more this week, I thought about it uh, in a couple ways, but initially when you read through it, my take was, wow, this seems a bit scattered. And maybe if you're reading through it for the first time or for the seventh time, or maybe even the tenth time, you still go, man, this seems a bit scattered all over the place. How does this come together? So as I thought about this, the first thing that came to mind is that chapter four, for me, is Paul presenting us with a freedom sandwich. Okay, you with me? A freedom sandwich. Okay, so what do you mean, Aaron, by a freedom sandwich? Okay, if you're familiar with giving reinforcement to people who work with you, there's this concept of sandwiching. You give a positive affirmation, then a productive compliment or encouragement, right? And then you give a positive affirmation. And so what I see here is Paul giving us a freedom sandwich in that first he talks about the freedom that we have as heirs. Then he speaks to the perils of pride and he wraps up again with what I would call the freedom from the flesh or freedom in divine promise. So we're going to walk through this. And in it, I don't have time to flesh out everything as best as it could be. So we're going to look at the first two elements briefly. And we're really going to dig into the third. Because I think that the allegory with Sarah and Hagar, one, there's different opinions on it, and two, it's more challenging or confusing to read for some. So let's start with our freedom as heirs. And to really, I think, pull this together, we do have to look back at the concept of the seed from Galatians 3. In Galatians 3.16, it says this, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say to the, uh, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, 
who is Christ. Okay, so you with me? The promise was spoken to Abraham and to his seed, and the seed is Christ. Well, what's that imply for us? All you have to do is skip down to the, towards the end of the chapter, and it says in 329, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What a beautiful, you see the language there is inversed, right? In 16, we have the promise spoken to Abraham and to his seed, being Christ. At the end, we see Christ, being in Christ, you are then Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And that is kind of the basis of this sonship that we dig into at the beginning of this text. But what we see in chapter 4, like Paul often does, is he paints a few pictures that allow, hopefully, Lord willing, the Galatians to see the errors of their ways, or us to see the errors of our ways. And if you've been around a minute, you know I'm not the best at giving uh, illustrations during my messages. Um, I think that uh, Glenn and John and many others do a great job of pulling in stories. Um, but Paul's going to do this for me today, so don't worry about it. It's going to be great. Um, so Paul is bringing in this story, and what we have at the beginning is he's relating to the concept of the movement from uh, adolescence to adulthood, it specifically uses the language of sonship because in that society, in the patriarchy of that time, you didn't have rights to the inheritance unless you were the son, okay? So that's why it says, and that's, that's a huge significant element here is it's saying women, men, slave, free, you're an heir, okay? You're an heir to the prophet promise. That's what he means by when he says sonship and talks about us becoming sons. So what is, what, what is significant, I think, to take away from this portion of text is that he's talking about a transition. At this stage in history, those transitions were like instantaneous, okay? So someplace from 12 to 17, depending on where you lived, at that time, you would have a little celebration, some, some kind of coming-of-age ceremony. You'd go to bed, you wake up, and boom, you're an adult. That's pretty different from what we experience here, wouldn't you say? I don't know if I'm an adult yet. <laughs> right? So, so this, is what, this is what they're seeing in this culture, and this is why this picture is so important is that the transition from adolescence to adulthood from child to heir is instant okay and then he goes on to compare that to what the salvation purchased for us by this guy jesus who was born of a woman and under the law or redeemed us to sonship so when we accept jesus christ as our lord and savior into our lives, the transition from the child lost or in bondage to slavery 
to the heir to the promise is instant. Okay? You with me? I'm not saying there isn't a process as we mature in Christ. If there wasn't a process, then our, uh, I think it's our, our vision statement or our one of those statements, a statement, it's on our website, check it out, says growing together towards maturity in Christ. That would be irrelevant if we go from slavery, adolescence to boom, mature. No, not how that works, but it's boom, air. It's boom, you receive the promise. And what Paul's trying to say is the freedom that is applied to you in receiving this uh, um, promise is the absolute freedom, okay? It's the only real freedom. In this country, we love our freedom, don't we? There's freedom in all kinds of documents and things we say and things we sing about our nation. But I would say that all those things are irrelevant when it comes to real freedom. They aren't real freedom. They aren't real freedom. You with me? They aren't real freedom. Because Paul's saying, where do you get real freedom? You get it from Jesus Christ. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you don't have real freedom. You aren't free. And so, grab hold of this concept of the freedom that we have as heirs. This is what he is pointing out to these Folks in Galatia, hold fast to the freedom that you have and pay close attention because this is a freedom that you receive once and for all. All right, let's keep moving. So that brings us into the perils of pride. There's a few reasons why I think that pride is the agitator or aggressor or issue here. First, Verse 17 says this. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you will have zeal for who? For them. That makes me think back to what Paul says in the first chapter of Galatians. He says this, Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? And this is, the, this is the kicker here, folks. If I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Okay? So if you're struggling with trying to please people, that's not, that's not the natural relationship of a relationship with Christ. That's not how we, and Paul points that out to Peter when he's trying to please the Judaizers coming in, the circumcision groups coming in when they're in, uh, now I'm drawing a blank because this is in my notes, in chapter uh, two in Antioch. And so the point is, let's not be people pleasers, but why do I think this is about pride? Well, one, he, he points out that these particular group that are, zealous to win them over is doing it for their own boost, right? So that you may be, have zeal for them. The other element is that in verse 12, just before he said, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me. Become like 
me. Well, what does Paul mean? Become like me. He told us. He told us in Galatians, Galatians 2.20. You remember? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's crucified with Christ. It's no longer him that lives, but Christ that lives in him. It's not about him. It's about Christ, right? This isn't a new concept in Paul's letters. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says, Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Romans 15, 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. And so, I think we need to be cautious of pride. I think the kind of the root of all idolatry starts in pride. Here, it's specifically dealing with uh, self-reliance or self-righteousness. That's what we're dealing with here. That's the purpose of trying to fulfill the law is so that you can say, I did it. I, yeah. I achieved right, righteousness. Okay. Romans 10.3 puts it like this. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, right? They did not submit to God's righteousness. It's a gift. It's received you can't attain it in works. You can't, you can't muster it up by obeying the law. This could bring up questions about our relationship with the law and obedience to Christ. If you have questions about that, rewind back about two weeks. We talk about order and why it's important to, uh, that, that obedience flows out of freedom in salvation in Christ Jesus. So we have our freedom is heirs, and then we have this chunk, the perils of pride, and now we move into what I call the freedom in divine promise or freedom from the flesh. And the first chunk of this is pretty straightforward until you hit verse 24, and that's where it takes a bit of a twist. And I'm going to try and give you some of my perspective on what this portion of the chapter means. But no, even when I was studying this, there are many amazing theologians that have very different opinions on what this allegory means. So take it with a grain of salt. As always, read your Bible. Listen to God and spend some time looking at what's going on in the back. And that's where we're going to start. So first thing Paul says at the bottom uh, section of this chapter is he says, do you know what the law says? And then he jumps into a conversation about Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. And so briefly, I'm going to recap what's going on in that story. If you want to turn and look at it, it's Genesis 15, 1 through 6. But I'm going to summarize it, so this is my 
version, okay? Abraham is downcast. He doesn't have an heir. He's feeling defeated. And he tells God, I guess Eliezer will have to be my heir. Eliezer is, not, is, is, is like a servant, okay? God says to him, no. Your own son will be your heir. And then he points him to the stars and says, your offspring will be as many as the stars, okay? We fast forward a little bit. Genesis 16. And Sarah knows this promise that they've received from God. You're going to have an heir. But she's older. She's barren. She hasn't had a child. Uh, she's probably in her, it would be her late 70s. And so she provides Abraham, this isn't uncommon in the times, with her servant to provide him with an heir. So she provides Hagar to bear him a son. And Hagar does indeed bear Abraham a son. And the son's name is Ishmael. So we see here, and again, this is where I take the text from Galatians. So when Paul in Galatians 4.23 says, Ishmael was born according to the flesh, I believe he means that Ishmael was a product of self-reliance. Okay? Ishmael was a product of self-reliance. This was the result of people trying to produce something of their own work rather than relying on God. Okay? You with me? So let's fast forward back in Genesis 14 years later, Genesis 17. God comes back and says to Sarah, says Sarah is going to have a son in spite of their efforts. And God shows Abraham that he will do the work. And if you know the story, Abraham laughs. I'm 100, she's 90, what are you talking about? But guess what? We fast forward just three chapters to Genesis 21.1. This verse by itself is amazing because it says this. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. There is so much God in that verse. Right? Four times in one verse that he talks. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. We serve a God that is good on his promises. And we saw earlier in this text that in Christ, we are Abraham's seed and inheritors of what? The promise. Hmm. This is where the text takes a little turn, okay? Because at this point, it's pretty straightforward. In, verse, in Galatians 4, 23, it says, His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. And, and my take on that is that this was a result of self-reliance or 
self-resourcefulness. But his son, by the free woman, was born as a result of divine promise. And then we move forward, and he says, take the following figuratively. I think what's important to see in this text is I don't think Paul's trying to say that the narrative in, Galatia, in Genesis sorry, is speaking into Sinai or the present issues in Jerusalem necessarily. What I think he's saying is that God's consistent nature in regards to the works of the flesh are revealed in the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, as well as Mount Sinai, which brings light to the very problems that he's facing in Galatia. Okay, so the, the, the line that he draws from Hagar to Sinai to Jerusalem, this concept of taking it figuratively, is to show God's consistent nature regarding self-reliance or um, self-resourcefulness or self-righteousness for all time since his interactions with Abraham. So where do I see the relationships between Hagar, Sinai, and Jerusalem? This is, this is what I see in this story. Is Ishmael was the fruit of taking something God, or sorry, Ishmael was the fruit of taking something good a promise from God and trying to force it into being by their own strength. Sinai, the law is given. And as Paul has pointed out, what's he say the point of the law was? To expose or convict Israel of their sin and need of a savior. But if we look in Exodus, their response to receiving the law is one of, we'll do it. If you look in Exodus 24, uh, the leaders respond to receiving the law, and the people respond to seeing the law. Now, I'm not speaking negatively to the hearts of those leaders or those people. But when they saw what the law said, the response was, we will do it. We will do it. Now, with the hindsight that we have, through Paul's letters and other scripture, and through the prophets that we looked at, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And so I think the line from Hagar to Sinai is the law is given, and once again, the people are trying to accomplish it by their own strength, and they couldn't do it. And that points or brings light to the current day Jerusalem, because they're suffering from the same bondage to these work of the flesh, products of self-reliance, self-righteousness, as those before. So, what can we learn from this last chunk? And I talked about the freedom that we have from the flesh, the freedom that we have in divine promise. One, we can identify this kind of typology that Paul has created in Ishmael, okay? So I'm not speaking directly to Ishmael. I'm speaking to the typology that he's created in this conversation. And I would say that that Ishmael type or that Sinai type or that Jerusalem of that time type, their issues that were causing them not to be free 
was that they lacked freedom as a result. Uh, they lacked the freedom of resting in God's promises. Okay? I think they lacked the freedom of resting in God's promises. Instead, they're controlled by a desire to show their own resourcefulness. These types may very well desire God, but desire him on their terms. We see this with Abraham, Sarah. Uh, they want God's heir, and so they use Hagar, and they just decide to do it on their, you know, they're doing it on their own self-reliance rather than waiting for the promise. We see it in the Judaizers. Uh, when they, they obviously want God's blessings, but they are going to try and get them on their own legal terms. The issue isn't, do you have a desire for blessing? I think that's pretty standard for people. I think most of us desire blessing. Is, will you do it on God's terms? And that can feel kind of harsh. I'm going to invite the, the, the worship team up. That can feel harsh, but the reality of it is this. God's terms are gracious. This is, this is the gospel of grace, right? God's terms are the best terms we can have, and yet somehow we still struggle with trying to create our own terms. And in having a number of conversations with different people walking through this text this week, it's really easy to find ways to create our own terms, whether it's comparing ourselves to others rather than receiving the fullness that we have in Christ, right? Whether it's um, wrestling with the order and trying to earn our salvation in works. I think it's pretty common. How do, you, how do you actually fully grasp this free gift to the point where the outpouring of your actions is obedience to Christ and, and, and not wrestle with trying to muster that up yourself? That's a challenging balance. When you figure it out, let me know. Um, but we're going to take communion together, and, and part of taking communion is receiving this gift. From, from God, receiving the gift of salvation in its full and the implications that that has for us in living out our faith. And so before we go into that, I'm gonna pray for us. Lord God, I just thank you for today. God, I pray that you would guide our minds and our hearts as we continue to walk out our faith. Lord, as we continue to grow together, towards maturity in Christ as we continue to, to reach for your likeness. God, I just pray that you would be uh, stilling our minds and hearts as we prepare to receive communion today. Lord, that we would be embracing the freedom that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite up.